Welcome to our Sunday morning segment of the Grace Chapel podcast. If you would like more information about Grace Chapel, visit their website, gracechapel.org.au. There you can find more materials in growing your identity in Christ. one of the seven, sometimes even two. It'll cover a bit of that one and a bit of that one. It'll, you could put it in, in either one. But um, if you read the book of Proverbs, it it's, um, talks a lot about, about what we, we should do and what we shouldn't do and why we shouldn't do them. Um, we're just going to re- read a couple of uh, quick scriptures. Proverbs 11. Um, so in Proverbs 11:28, um, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Uh, go back to 11:18. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Um, look, there's plenty more in there that I've, I've got, but it's one thing to um, to go out and, and actually earn a living. Uh, we all need to earn a living to pay our bills and, and do the things that we need to do in, in this world. And God allows for that. He, he talks about people in Proverbs becoming wealthy, and he who gains little by little becomes wealthy. But when we start charging exorbitant fees for what we do and the guys that, oh, well, I'm worth it, we have a bit of a problem. I also think of the um, um, you know, chief executives of, of large companies that are on multi-million dollar salaries. And if the company goes bust, they're not responsible. They just walk away, take their package and off they go, leave the mess behind them. And the poor guy who's digging the ditch, he just gets paid his $20, $25 an hour and, and has to make do with what he's got. And there's a, there's a huge discrepancy in our country of, of what's a reasonable and fair thing for a day's work. The Lord abhors dishonest scales. And um, it's one of the things I know from cutting firewood that um, uh, I struggle to actually fit two metres on the ute. So I tell the customer, look, it's, it's, it's not quite two metres and it's charged accordingly. If you stack it up, you probably won't quite get the two metres out of it. So they understand that before, before they, um, you know, the wood's delivered. But I had one fellow who um, had to get, get his wood from somewhere else at one point. I couldn't deliver and uh, sometime later I was able to uh, get a load to him and he said, go and have a look in the shed there and tell, you, tell me how much wood you reckon is there. So I poked my nose in the shed and it was all stacked up and I said, oh, a metre and a half thereabouts. He said, I've taken a wheelbarrow load out of that but they charged me for three metres. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding me. 
He said, no, no, they brought it in the back of a, uh, an SUV and, and um, there was no way there was going to be three metres in it. And I strike that quite a lot. Um, stories I've, I've come across with people that um, uh, have got their wood from other people and um, actually your friend out at, out at Cape. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah, it's people that are that are ripping off the system out of out of greed. We're just going to go Luke, chapter three, because there's a good little reference in this. Chapter three, Luke chapter three, and this is John the. Baptist. John uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what would, should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And in there I think there's a, there's a fairly simple um, guideline of, of being content with what we have. That uh, what you get for your day's work, make it sufficient. The other Royal Commission that, that of course got a lot of uh, press was um, into the um, child abuse, which comes under, I've put it under lust. Um, again, uh, this was largely the Catholic Church and, and the uh, priests behaving badly. Uh, if, if we, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians before we, we get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and starting at verse 32. Okay. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried man or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided, undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting, acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to 
and if she is getting on in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. I really think that uh, the Catholic Church has taken this scripture right out of context because back earlier in, in Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about the unmarried man and, and being in control of yourself. By taking, making celibacy um, a rule inflicted, imposed on, on, on the members, I think that's, it's contributed a lot to, to what's gone on in the Royal Commission or what's been found out. Um, again, Paul just says, you know, you shouldn't stop people from, from getting married. If a man feels that he should get married and if he's having trouble controlling himself, absolutely should get married. But we have this church that's um, put in this rule that, that priests are to remain celibate. And I believe that most of those fellows that entered into that uh, that priesthood did so with good intentions. But when they're put in control of a bunch of, of young kids, some something has clicked and... and, and, and you know, evil, evil has been able to prosper. So in our society, we, we've seen that there's been a lot of a lot of abuse of of, of um, young children under under lust. In our society, all over, we we see that uh, sexuality is being promoted as as um, it seems that you, you drive down the the freeway and there's a big billboard with um, fancy car and a scantily clad woman draped all over it and sometimes you wonder which one you're actually buying. It seems that um, that that type of thing is used to sell a lot of products. And even, uh, I was talking with Josh some time ago, uh, we were talking about music and, and uh, I said how back in be the early 80s, late 70s, um, Duran Duran put out a video clip called on, to the song Girls on Film and how it caused a bit of a furore. And he said, oh, what was it like? And I said, oh, well, it was a, yeah, a bit raunchy. So we, we got it up on on internet and, and played it and he looked at that and said, Dad, that's tame. <laughs> <laughs> today, it's, today it's tame. Back then it was, it was um, oh, it's caused quite a stir. Nowadays, no one would bat an eyelid because it, it's it's really quite the norm, and that's that's flowed into um, people's general perception of of, um, of sexuality and what it means and, and having sex outside of marriage, in and out of relationships, um, and um, and it's sad because people have really lost what what it was really all about. But when you turn away from from the Bible. That's what happens. Okay, moving along. Envy. Um, I'm going to read you 
I don't know if any of you have ever read this. This is Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape. It's quite good. But he... Sorry? It's, it's really got... Yep. He's, I like him because he's not just about making money. He's about your family and what it, what it means to look after your kids and care for your kids and, and have a home rather than a... Yeah, look, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in here, yeah. and I'm just going to read this quickly. Um, this couple has been married for about nine years. Two squids. They work in the same skyscraper in the city where they met. They earn decent, but not great dough. When they first got married, all they could afford to buy was a poky little joint in the meat and potato suburb of Reservoir in Melbourne's north. The day they bought it, they didn't celebrate. It was more like the underwhelmed you felt as a teenager when you opened the Christmas present from that auntie and uncle you only see once a year. You got me a Garfield colouring book. Gee, thanks. No, Reservoir was just a layover on the road to some place better, and that better place was pricey Port Melbourne. Over the next eight years, they talked lovingly and longingly about Port Melbourne, where their other richer friends lived. It was like everything that went wrong in their lives was caused by being stuck in Reservoir. Everything would be perfect when they moved to Port Melbourne. Life would be a choreographed Instagram feed. He'd have a ripped six-pack because every morning he'd get up and kayak along the bay while she'd get into her Lorna Jane active wear and meditate as she looked out to the ocean. They'd spend their weekends frolicking with the kids on the beach and at dusk they'd have a barbecue, drink Chardonnay and toast the good life. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? Well, lo and behold, the little place in Reservoir shot up in price like a rocket. They sold for a record price, but again, they didn't celebrate. They still didn't have enough to buy the place they really wanted, which of course had gone way up too. However, they were determined to live their Instagram fantasy, so they traded up and bought a pokey little joint in Port Melbourne, two streets back from the water and in the process added more than $1 million to their mortgage. What, what do you think happened next? Like for most people who borrow too much for their dream home, the Windex had worn off and she was left stressed to the max while he decided to take control of their money and didn't tell her much, which made her paranoid. What are you going to do about it? I asked her one day when she was having a coffee. I guess I'm just going to have to get used to living this way, she sighed, slouching her shoulders, looking down at her latte. So, I said, you're sitting here as one of the richest people on the planet and you're telling me you're okay spending the next 50 years worried about money. It's not so bad. Everyone is in the same position, right? She said. Actually, no. And he goes on to talk about a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And um, these two guys went out to find out, interview wealthy people. So they went and interviewed people that had a fancy home and a boat and big Turak tractor to tow it. And, but they found that these people were actually, uh, what he terms, all, do, all, all show and no dough. <laughs> yeah. So they've got, a, to the people out there, it looks fantastic. They've got a fancy house and, and 
brand new vehicle. What these people found that the um, the actual real wealthy people lived in a fairly modest suburb, in a fairly modest house, and um, lived a fairly modest lifestyle, but they had their mortgage paid off. They had money invested. He also gives a bit of a... Uh, he calls these the postcode, postcode povos um, because of postcode where, where they're aiming to buy is, you know, up there and they just bite off far more than they can chew. So he talks about, so what became of our postcode povo pals? Well, 1.4 million didn't buy them a really nice home in Port Melbourne. So they're already talking and dreaming about trading up to something a bit bigger. I've seen how this plays out. It never ends. There's always someone with a bigger house than yours, unless you're the queen. So let's turn it on, the, on its head. They're paying tens of thousands of dollars in interest to the bank. They could instead spend that money on an unforgettable overseas family holiday each year, take the kids out of school, hire a camper van and drive across America for six weeks. And then he goes on to talk about how I grew up in the Mallee town of Oyen, smack bang in the middle of nowhere, in a little home my parents built themselves out of what in retrospect looks suspiciously like asbestos sheeting, and I had the time of my life because my parents were always around. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against trading up, but I am here to tell you that signing up to a mega mortgage for the next three decades just so I can live in a rich suburb is not a trade-off I'm willing to make. He talks about, um, there. he just made the mention about my parents always being around. I can relate to this guy because the house that I grew up in was, was well, mum and dad did what they could, but the, um, it really needed restumping. The floor was all over the place, it wasn't level. I remember the kitchen was tiny, and not only was it tiny, but everyone had to go through the kitchen to get to the main house. Um, Poor mum put up with that kitchen for years and years and um, um, dad did a bit of a renovation on it and, and um, put in a sort of a, a bench, two bench seats and bolted the table to the wall, like, a bit like a, what you'd see in a caravan set up. And uh, the first night we sat down at the table, he said, well, I don't know about this. I used to be able to drain all the juices to one side of my plate, but now it's level, I can't do that. Um, every night we'd have to go and get a chair from the other room to bring in because if you put that chair there it was right in the way of, of, of the traffic and mum put up with that for years and years and um, I look at that and think gee nowadays that would be just about grounds for divorce but what it was uh, at the end of dinner we'd be still sitting around the table an hour after, after we'd finished our meal talking and joking and laughing and you know, discussing things that happened during the day and things at school and things around the district and footy and cricket and all sorts of stuff. And you see the difference between a house and a home. A lot of the houses that they're selling nowadays are, are um, they've just been drained to their heart and soul. And it's sad. And it's all driven by envy. Someone who's, got, you know, looking at, at what someone else has got rather than just being satisfied with what you have yourself. Keeping up with the Joneses. Okay. 
Next on the list was laziness, sloth, apathy. Right back at the beginning in, in Genesis, the Lord put Adam and Eve in the, in the garden and there was work to do. They were told to tend to the garden. So having work to do is, is something that we are required to do. It's, it's not just sit down and um, put out your hand and someone puts fish and chips in it. It just doesn't work like that. And our work can be in, in, in many shapes and forms. It doesn't always have to be going out and earning a dollar. I look at you, Beck, and I just think, what a great job you're doing with these boys. And a sterling job. Look, I've been a single parent myself. I only had one. It was easy. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like the job that you're doing with those boys, yeah, you're to be commended. And, um, you know, it takes an effort and it takes... Um, yeah, it really takes an, an effort to... Um, you know, put your shoulder to the wheel and, and do a good job. And, um, but whatever we do, um, laziness is, is one of those things that we, we should avoid. It comes, comes across too that um, it's not always our, our physical work. Uh, for me, my work is, is yeah, physically draining, it's uh, you know, cutting and splitting wood, working at the mill. Sometimes I come home feeling absolutely shot to bits. But I seem to sort of get up the next day and go and do it again. As I'm getting older, that's getting harder, so I might have to rethink what I do. But whatever we do, we're always providing a service for someone. The other way at place that, that sloth creeps in is in our attitudes. And Apathy is the word that comes to mind. And it was only just the other day I was talking with Joanne and I got a call from the uh, Liberal Party. Um, there's a, um, a dinner on in a couple of weeks and um, it was basically an invitation to, to come along. At some point I've, I've sort of thought, oh, don't know about joining the Liberal Party. Do I, can I really be bothered getting involved? That night that we had here, um, where um, Karen had, had speakers come about the Safe Schools program. And it's very easy to sort of say, well, I don't have kids at school and it's not really my problem, but it is. At some stage, I've got grandkids at school now, um, and it's not just my kids, it's all the other kids that are around. And as a church and as a community, if we just sit back and do nothing, then we'll get run over. It's been said that for evil to prosper, good men do nothing. And apathy is one of those things that can creep into churches um, very, very easily. And the worst thing is when you say, I'd like to do something about the apathy around here, but I can't be bothered. Gluttony, okay, eating too much. Now, I like my food. I, you know, nowhere to hide with that one. I'll have decent breakfast, sometimes morning tea, decent lunch, dinner, 
supper, dessert, <laughs> second supper. <laughs> um, I have to watch it a bit though. Uh, it's, it's okay while I'm doing the type of work I'm doing, but some years ago I had a bulging disc in my back and I could do nothing. Um, one minute I'm, I'm splitting wood and the next minute I couldn't even bend over and pick up the splitter. It, it, it was as much as I could do to get in the ute and drive home and uh, the next six weeks was, was I was pretty well in, incapacitated. I could sit and that was, I could stand, I eventually could start walking again but as far as uh, cutting wood was concerned that was just going to have to be put on hold. What didn't go on hold was my eating. <laughs> and uh, uh, my sister-in-law, was, was she was quite heavily pregnant and I felt like I'd gone out in sympathy. Um, I got up to 95 kilos, which is about 10 kilos over what I'd normally be, and um, it was very easy to, to get out of shape. And in our, you know, look, I think that we, you know, we could all lose a little bit somewhere along the line, but it comes down to energy in, energy out. Um, and even, even the type of, of food we eat, uh, where our food is, is packaged, provided, ready to go, it's very easy to eat things that we shouldn't do. The one that I do get amused by is the, the women who, or people who go into Macca's and order a skinny, skinny cappuccino and then have a chocolate cake to go with it. Yeah. There's, look, there's a lot of debate about you know, whether fat's a good thing or, or not. Um, but Australia at the minute is, is in, the, in the middle of a, um, an obesity crisis. Uh, a lot of people overweight, heart problems, cardiovascular problems, diabetes and the like. So in our society, and that's what this is, is about, um, it's, it's, it's a problem. We, um, yeah, we could all tone up a little bit. We also do have the problem of um, those that go the other way and, and um, you know, Josh said to me the other day, do you think I'm getting fat? And, and I said, mate, if you're getting fat, God help the rest of us. Um, I mean, this is, this is a guy who, who um, you know, he'll go down to Cape and go for a 2K swim and, and come back. He works at the mill with me, he works at the nursery, he goes to the gym and he works out, cuts, cuts firewood. Um, and then he sort of thinks, well, I'm eating a lot. And I said to him, I said, look, there's nothing wrong with having a healthy appetite. But it's energy in, energy out. It's just one of those things that we really need to, need to be aware of, keep an eye on. Ironically, um, when we do have a big feed, ironically, well, Christmas Day, have a big, big roast for lunch with all the potatoes and that, what happens afterwards? <laughs> we all go off and have a snooze. Because <laughs> so, so sort of you've got this thing again of, of, of gluttony and, and sloth sort of being in there together. Okay, where are we up to now? Wrath. Okay, wrath. Wrath is always a good one. Ever noticed how movies these days are, are becoming more violent, not just in their content, but in their storyline? That 
no longer is, is the bad guy just apprehended. No, he's, he's uh, shot to bits or in a car that always bursts into flames um, or sent down a tube somewhere where he's never going to be seen again. And that, you know, fixes a problem. That served him right. My Bible tells me that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And that um, I will repay. I, um, Jaron and I actually watched a movie last night, which was, which was based on fact. Um, it was about the um, extradition of Adolf Eichmann from out of um, Argentina. Now, Adolf Eichmann was, was the architect, if you like, of the final solution, the Holocaust in Germany. Um, likes of Hitler and Himmler and others uh, committed suicide because they knew what, had happen what would happen if they were brought to justice. So they um, short-circuited all that and took their own lives. But Adolf Eichmann managed to escape to Argentina. And this movie was about identifying him firstly and then uh, capturing him and then getting him out of the country without... Uh, actually, they, they did it illegally. Um, of course, when he was brought to Jerusalem for trial, um, he was given a fair trial, apparently, found guilty, hanged, and his ashes were scattered in the sea so that no one could say that that's where Adolf Eichmann is, is laid to rest. Now, don't know. The reason that they, they wanted to, to bring all this up was so that the stories of, of the Holocaust survivors could be told and people would be made aware of the horrors that happened. But it's, it's a bit like there was, there was um, um, an accident some time ago where a fellow, young fellow got drunk and um, he killed a, another young guy, ran over him. And the parents of that young person said, look, you could go and lock him up or anything, it doesn't bring our son back. And I sometimes wonder, if someone ran over Josh, I'd be, I'd be really annoyed too. And I'd, I'd probably feel the same way. I'd, I'd, you know. But how do you extract vengeance how, how, or revenge or justice? And so often these days we want to repay anger with, we want to pay, repay evil with evil rather than, I know it's difficult sometimes, but letting the Lord sort that one out. I will repay, he says. Okay, moving right along. Pride. Pride, look, it's, it's a bit of a funny one because um, you know, I'm, in a lot of ways I'm proud of some of the things I've, I've achieved and some of the things I've done. I'm proud of the way Josh is growing up and, uh, and I have a certain amount of, I guess, pride in, in, um, in a lot of the things that I've done and... and and I'm doing. In, in my work, I like to have pride in my work. I like to have a job that's finished that the customer's going to be happy with, which again comes back to being a servant. Every time we, we, um, every time we, we have a job, whether it's been serving coffee down at the local bakery or whatever, we are being a servant. And to have pride in your work is a good thing. 
where pride becomes a problem is where pride is, is against God. And just the word of it, I can't help but, but relate to um, a game that is played now between St Kilda and I think Sydney. And they play it every year and they call it the Pride Game. And it's basically to support the gay community. The numbers are, um, instead of being white, they have the, the rainbow colours for their numbers. The rainbow flags, which incidentally has been hijacked from, from the days of Noah. Um, now look, people will say, oh, you're homophobic. No, I'm not. actually I'm not. Uh, I had a number of customers come into the shop and um, uh, they were gay and I treated them just the same as I would treat anybody else. And look, if people want to behave like that, well, that's their call and they'll have to sort that out with the Lord. Where I do have a problem with it is when we have a, a Mardi Gras and we, we take it down the main street and flaunt it and really rub God's nose in it, I just think you're pushing it too far. But again, those people are going to have to sort that out with the Lord on his return. So we can sort of see there seven deadly sins, all active in our in our society, aren't they? And so how do we get around this? And I, I would suggest that, I know that there's some things in here that I struggle with, and I would suggest that most of you would relate to one or two or maybe more um, that we struggle with. And at the end of the day, we're in here because we need a saviour. We recognise that these things are things that uh, God didn't put here. They weren't intended, but since the fall, they've, they've, they're, they're with us. They're in our society. They're getting stronger. And... For us, prayer, first port of call. But knowing that Jesus' blood has covered our sin, that all these things that, that we do, Jesus' blood can cover. And that's why we, we come here to church, we recognise that we need a saviour. And Jesus' blood is the answer. Amen. Please tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message from Grace Chapel. Bye for now.